Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is Ted Diamond, who has been an Alexander Technique teacher for almost 35 years. He's the founder and director of the Diamond Institute. He's also an adjunct professor at Teachers College at Columbia University. He's written numerous books on the Alexander Technique and he is also has a, a special interest in childhood uh, development. And this is going to be the second of a two-part series about how basically how Alex, the discoveries of F. Matthias Alexander, the developer of the Alexander Technique, how those discoveries can be um, used to enhance uh, childhood development. In the first part, we talked about just generally how the Al these principles might be uh, should could be introduced into the educational establishment, te teachers, colleges, and so on, and then into the classroom. And this this conversation is going to be. Uh, more specifically about Alexander's concept of psychophysical unity. We're going to talk about that in more detail. Uh, Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Robert. So, Ted, could you give our listeners, uh, again, a very brief uh, description or definition of the Alexander Technique? Yeah, the simple a simple definition I like is that the Alexander Technique is a way of learning to look at how you do things, to identify and to prevent uh, what you're doing to interfere with natural functioning. Mm -hmm. And one of, I, I guess it's a discovery by Alexander. It was, I guess it was really a discovery based on his own um, experience uh, coming to terms with a, with a voice problem. But he used the phrase psychophysical, it's all one word. And maybe uh, you could say a, a thing or two about what he meant by that and what are some of the implications of that. Yeah, it, in Alexander's writings, all four, he wrote four books, and all four of his books, he makes a point. Of, of assuring the reader that when it comes to mind and body, they can't be separated. And even, um, even experienced practitioners of his work can sometimes be confounded by the fact that he makes such a point of this and uh, seems to stress it so highly. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think one reason is because even in a simple, in the simplest act, let's say of um, you know walking, it's very very hard to really identify motor functioning, uh, or to describe that motor act separately from uh, the decision to do something, the thoughts that are going on while you do that thing, uh, the link between the thinking that's going on and the way you walk. It's really a complex act. And the reason this is so important to child development is because um, if you're working with a child and you're recognizing that their motor functioning is important, um, it's really hard to address their motor functioning if you're not also looking at this kind of larger behavioral element. And 
that's one reason why when we uh, thought about ways of describing what aspect of child development this really is, where, what, at, where does this fall within the field of child development, we mm. always came back to this idea that it's psychophysical functioning, it's psychophysical education. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in the process of uh, identifying that, you know, I began to identify elements of a child's use or it's how it uses its sensory motor system in, in behavior elements that I think constitute psychophysical. Mm-hmm. So um, just to get back to Alexander's own writing on the subject, I believe in one of his books, he, he says, um, I'm going to, in this chapter, use the term physical and the term mental from time to time, but I want it understood that I'm just saying that something is relatively more mental or relatively more physical, that the two can never really be separated. Um, they, they are really two sides of the same coin, as it were. Um, and I, I assume that's, the, and, and I think the problem is that we don't have a good word for that totality function a psychophysical sounds i don't know doesn't sound that appealing i think to some people <laughs> what what do you, i mean what's your experience with that yeah i there's no terminology that seems perfect and it seems uh you know thinking dualistically is so embedded in our language that yeah. it really is hard to find words yeah right. but i i but i I love that idea that Alexander would say, well, you know, there's there are some acts the mental predominates and some the physical predominates, mm-hmm. but no act is entirely mental or entirely physical. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. It's not really possible to have even a tiny little thought without some muscle fibers being innervated, right? I mean that's just yeah. how it works. Yeah. 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 So Okay, so given that you can't really separate the two out, um, that that they're totally interconnected, but the thing that you might see more obviously in a child would be the physical aspect uh, of their behavior. What, What are the implications then for how one might approach um, improving the quality of the, of that if if it seems like that's a good idea, given that the physical is really just is intertwined with with the mental. I mean, what what are the practical implica- implications? I guess is what I'm I'm asking here. I think the. Well, I think one problem is that, yeah, as you say, if you're looking at a child and you're trying to identify what we what we're addressing, it looks, of course, you're looking at the child's body, so you say, well, it's a mainly physical problem. Mm-hmm. I think one implication is um, that if you identify the problem purely as physical, you're really not going to address the whole problem. Mm-hmm. So one example of that would be if a kid is writing, here is here's this child at the desk writing in a harmful way. You'd see it as harmful posture. Children twist themselves when they write, mm-hmm. and they overuse their shoulder and mm-hmm. arm muscles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really a behavioral problem in a, in the sense that um, that the child's writing is not well coordinated at the physical level, partly because they're preoccupied with their end, mm-hmm. partly because they've narrowed their attention. Mm-hmm. partly because their behavior is a little bit 
uncontrolled. So when we understand what all those elements are, and I, I, I focus on kind of those three, mm-hmm. the physical motor system is one, mm-hmm. the behavioral component, which really is now talking about the mental, physical pathway of activity mm-hmm. is second, and the attention level is third. When you look at all three of those, then you could begin to identify an aspect of the child's development that really begins to give the child greater balance and poise in all activities. So you're, you're, you're not just looking at something postural or physical. You're really looking at something that goes more toward balanced behavior. Mm-hmm. And, so. and, but given, given this, um, inner, this very intimate interconnection, it does seem as though Alexander's approach Correct me if if I'm wrong about this, but my sense is that Alexander's approach was that if you're going to improve someone's psychophysical functioning, the way to do it is primarily via the mental side. Am I right about that, or would you disagree with that? Yep. Change your thinking and then change the way you function, so to speak. Yeah, in one way, I might, you know, it's funny, I might say that in another, you know, in another way, I'd say that you can't access someone's thinking unless you make an objective change. So I, you know, it's sort of the same issue of, of inseparability of mind and body. Mm-hmm. Someone has to change, their, the, the student has to change his or her thinking, but you also have to make more objective changes in order to access aspects of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um and very often, that's the the, uh, the physical changes are the one that we we stress perhaps too much because we almost say, well, the only way to address this problem is by, um, you know, kind of working on on someone's body or, get, you know, giving them a kinesthetic physical experience. And I think that could be biased in that direction, too much in that direction. So mm-hmm. I think it's both sides of it that we're looking at. And again, mm-hmm. I think unless we look at both sides. It's hard to um, fully round out the picture of what we're look what what aspect of development we're looking at in children. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, just I keep coming back to this question, but um, let's say that the, the ideas that you're you're wanting to get out there actually got out there as fully as one as you could imagine. What would actually happen in a classroom where a kid does seem to be functioning physically not uh, maybe not as well as they might? What is the way that would be actually dealt with? I mean, how would what what kind of intervention would happen? Well, one thing I've done in the past is I've introduced ways of working with kids so that they begin to incorporate their awareness of themselves into their acti- uh, you know into their classroom activities mm-hmm. so one very concrete way of looking at this is that kids um you know i love this idea of a morning meeting i've been do- in my at my school we've been doing this with uh, with the adults you know with the with the students who are tra- the adults who are training at the diamond institute we we've just begun introducing the idea of a morning meeting where we actually discuss what we're going to do that morning and what our goals are. And um, 
introducing, let's say, in a children's classroom, uh, the idea of morning, uh, the idea of paying attention to yourself in the morning meeting, it means you're now actually introducing a whole new concept in child development in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It's very simple with kids. It can often be 10 minutes or five minutes even could be, can make a big difference because now children actually, um, take themselves into account and not just what they're trying to accomplish and they begin to value it and they begin to enjoy it. And it's uh, fun for children. Kids like this, you know? Yeah. And that's they, a very and they're, Yeah. And they're, they are natural. I mean, if they're interested, they are phenomenally quick learners of Alexander's principles. They, they don't have the huge overlay that most adults do that you have to overcome. And Alexander himself very specifically said that he, he felt the place for his discoveries to be applied should be the classroom, should be children, it should not be adults. That um, it, it, when, you, when, you get, when someone gets to be an adult, it's way harder for them to change, much easier as a child. Yeah. So you and it's funny because on the one hand you have this sort of big, this big task in front of you where you say, how do we introduce this to the whole field of education? Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of it, it's um, easier with kids to work with kids in, to introduce these ideas. It's sort of quicker and can be done in simpler ways. You're right, and don't, kids don't need the the level of care that many adults need because of the mm -hmm. problems they've developed over time. Mm -hmm. And one, one more thing I want to mention about this is also that when you begin to uh, look at this in child development, you also get a picture of what health co what constitutes health in the child that you, you begin to apply to every child. So, for instance, if a child is engaging in an activity that we think is uh, in a way that's harmful, we don't just see this as like, uh, you know, posture. But you can also um, – but I would identify – as I said before, elements of attention and behavior into the picture. So I would throw them into the whole picture of what constitutes normal functioning so that this idea of, um, of a child's psychophysical functioning begins to give us a new concept of what health is in a child. Because if you think about it, this is not addressed in our models of emotional development and it's not addressed in our medical models where we will give a child a clean bill of health if they do not exhibit uh, clinically abnormal symptoms. Mm -hmm. Here, we would pretty much almost never give a child a clean bill of health by the age of five or six because we'd say all these elements have to be learned more consciously as a part of normal child development. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's what this whole process is. It's not just... It's not just trying to help kids with problems, but trying to bring the whole aspect of um, functioning to a more conscious level mm -hmm. and recognize that that's part of what education should actually be. Education isn't just about learning. Education should also be, be, be about mastery of the self. To right. me, it's an aspect, aspect right. that's been sort of left out. And when you when you talked earlier about self-awareness, helping children develop self-awareness, you're you're really though ta you're really talking about the way their thinking works, right? How, what they decide to attend to mentally. 
And does that veer at all into what are called Alexander Technique directions, in your view? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I would say it includes bodily poise and how the physical motor system, that's one of the three elements I mentioned, mm -hmm. how that system works. And in conjunction with that, how they're thinking and how they are organizing their thinking and their attention level. So all of these, but absolutely it would include directions, which, you know, in which you want to teach to kids in an age appropriate way, you know, less conceptual or less abstracted way. But absolutely incorporating that into their sense of, you know, when I'm writing, I'm not just getting something done on the paper, but I'm also um, managing myself. And how, how do I do that? You know, again, we call that body thinking with right. young kids. You know. Right. And that's something that, um, as you say, the, the way of getting that, that idea out there to kids is going to be different than for adults. And so it seems to me that you have to have people, it's got to be done with people who are both comfortable working with children and understand them pretty well. And that may not be just, that certainly may not be just any old Alexander Technique teacher, right? Right. I mean, a lot yeah, of right. us, I, I certainly would be very uh, cautious about working with small children because I don't feel... I have that. I don't feel I ha I'm on the right wavelength to do that almost. Right. Personally. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know. yeah, and, uh, yeah. And in the same way that we need more theory uh, to understand how this uh, whole uh, subject relates to child development, we also need more ped pedagogy. We need more mm -hmm. ways of in the same way that, you know, someone may specialize in working with musicians mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and needs to have some expert or voice and needs to have some expertise with that. We need to have expertise in working with children and look at ways of incorporating this in the classroom, which is partly what um, I'm doing with my doctoral student. We're, we're going to go into the classroom and figure out ways of incorporating these ideas into classroom practice so that it becomes something that we've, you know, there've been, there have been people doing very nice work in this area, but not enough of us. So we're trying to, trying to contribute to that. Right. There is a long history of of introducing Alexander's ideas into the classroom, starting with Alexander himself. He had a, yep. a little yep. school that he I mean, he was always he always wanted that to be more important than it was. And there have been numerous examples of, of mm. teachers who've managed to get access to classrooms and so on. But I, I, my sense is that it's never really, the, the quantity-wise, it's never been all that much. It's been specific examples here and there. So, yeah. And, yeah. And your dream, I, I would take it, is that this would just be kind of there in a classroom. It would just be a part of the whole classroom, the typical classroom experience for young children. Yes. I mean, I, I think what Alexander discovered is every bit as important to a child's development as what, you know, the early cognitive scientists were discovering about cognition. Mm -hmm. And it's based on, his work is based on really brilliant and groundbreaking discoveries about how a child or adult functions mm -hmm. and if we properly introduce those ideas into the field, um, we would 
we would never look back because we would see it as being we would be consider ourselves to be remiss not to include this in our conception of child development and that's my my goal is to see is to get to that point where we would where we look back and and wonder how we could possibly have ignored this for so long yeah i i i agree totally with that i'm i'm thinking about um are you familiar with the writings of Alice Miller about childhood education in the nineteenth mm. century, where yep. people with perfectly good intentions did really crazy stuff to their kids, uh, yes. crazy making stuff to their kids, and they thought that was, you know, the idea the kid was a sav a, a little savage, and you had to, you know, make him terrified of you and all that. Um, and people look back on that now and think, uh, how how crazy was that? Why didn't anyone recognize that that mm. was crazy? And I would think that if your dream came came to be, uh, a, a generation later, people would look back and say, how crazy were they in, you know, the early twenty 21st century, still not paying attention to this? Yeah. Absolutely. It's a perfect parallel because in the same, I mean, one reason why kids could be so mistreated, I mean, we look at it now this way, but mm -hmm. we look back on it and say this was, we mistreated kids because now we recognize that a child's emotional development is actually a, um, not just legitimate, but an actual tangible co concrete aspect of how, of what they need to develop fully and in a healthful way. Right, but we, right. But we do not have that concept with this area where we have just crude concepts of posture and for the most part dismiss it. So mm -hmm. today we're doing things almost as criminal. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you give a child at two years old some exercise that you've been taught, let's say, as a, as a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old, um, you could do them a lot of harm. But we don't have enough of a concept of that child as a psychophysical functioning whole to be able to recognize and diagnose that. So part of what we need to do is to have such an understanding that we can actually look at a child and say, this is what they need uh, and this is how they develop naturally and this is how we can best further their development. And again, we haven't really articulated that. Um, and until we recognize the ch that the child has a a, f a motor system, a motor behavioral system, and an attention level that operates as part of all that, we can't possibly have a fully developed concept of health in a developing child. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Why don't we end on that, uh, on that note? Um, my uh, guest today has been Ted Diamond. Uh, an Alexander Technique teacher in New York City, the founder and director of the Diamond Institute, and an adjunct professor at Teachers College, Columbia University. I'll put a link to his uh, the website of the Diamond Institute by the interview, as well as a, a link to a page that will tell you more about the Alexander Technique in general. Ted, thanks for thanks again so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Robert. I appreciate it.